From Retterman Studios, this is High Pressure, a podcast where industry leaders discuss common challenges, industry trends, and daily operations surrounding gases and welding. Here's your host, George Ratterman. So we have Lloyd Robinson on the phone, and for all of our listeners on the podcast today, Lloyd is in the tri-state area of New York with nine locations. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great, George. How are you? Yeah, we're pretty good. You know, I, I tell you what, I had one burning question for you right off the bat. So are you a Mets fan or a Yankees fan? <laughs> Luckily, when it comes to baseball, my father was a Yankee fan. Okay. So I, I'm a Yankee fan since I, I'm, I'm six years old. Unfortunately, my father was also a Jets fan and a Knicks fan. Oh wow! So I have not, I have not tasted any victories in those uh, sports in quite some time. <laughs> Does that mean you're getting close to converting? So I told, I told my boys, I told my boys. They asked me, how come I've never been to a Super Bowl? And I say, I will only go to the Super Bowl if the Jets are in it, which is pretty safe to say that I will not have to go to a Super Bowl anytime <laughs> soon, nor probably in my lifetime, hopefully in my son's lifetime. <laughs> you know, so, so you are definitely for sure a Yankees fan. And when you look at that time of being a Yankees fan since, how old were you? You said four or five years old? Six years old, 1971. Okay. First season I remember. Okay. So what is like your coolest and greatest Yankee fan moment to you personally? So I've been to two Yankee World Series wins. Wow. Um, I was in the stadium for when they beat the Mets uh, in Shea Stadium at the time in 2000. And then I was in the stadium in 2009 when they won uh, again. So, I mean, those two were, were pretty, pretty amazing to, to be in the stadium when they won the world series is just absolutely amazing. And I mean, the, the place was just, you know, when, when, when you hear that the stadium was shaking, I mean, it was shaking. It wow. Was amazing. Wow. That's great. So, you know, one of the things talk about 2000, that was a year you purchased a business. Is that correct? That's correct. And one of the things I found just really fascinating is that very shortly after you purchased a business, you did an acquisition like a couple of years later, and then you've done like eight more acquisitions over the last, you know, 18, 20 years. And that's unusual. Uh, I, I just want to ask you, you know, your experience with like maybe your first one, and then, you know, how, how did you find each one after that kind of coming along? So, so for, for, if anyone in the industry is listening to this podcast, um, you all know Phelan O'Malley, who works with me, he's been with me since 2002. He was my first acquisition, and this is really a great story, George. So Phelan owned a, a company called Dynamic um, Repair and Rental out on Long Island, and it was basically a two-man operation, repairing some welding machines and renting some welding machines, but mostly in the repair business. And it was a, you know, a small business. One of my salespeople... At the time, and you'll know why he's no longer with me when I finish the story, um, approached Phelan and said that he and Phelan should go into business together and they would do great. 
And Salem, pretty smart, said, why am I talking to you? You're just a schmucky salesman. Let me go talk to Lloyd. So Salem and I spoke in February. We signed a deal in October. We had a one-year employment agreement, and we haven't had an employment agreement since. And and yeah, as you said, it's uh, almost 21 years that uh, that that he's been with me, and you know he's he he certainly um, you know it was a great deal for both of us at the time, and clearly it's worked out. And we you know we we really treat ourselves each other as partners and and true partners in this business, as, as he's really been instrumental in in all of our growth. And once I heard the story about the salesperson approaching Phelan, uh, the salesperson was gone relatively quickly. Yeah. And, it, and you're right. You guys really do work together as a, as a team. And I, I appreciate hearing that story. I did not know how that's, that's how you guys got together. And he's obviously well, well respected in the industry. As you went forward, you did seven more acquisitions. And I was going to ask you after doing seven of them, I think all of us, when we think of doing an acquisition, we hear there's a fairly low success rate typically. And, you know, trying to get the cultures together and all that. I'd like to get your idea after doing seven more of those. So I think we're relatively, you know, I would say we're always strategic, but we're we're as strategic as we can get in 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 doing these acquisitions. Insofar as our target company to acquire is a small company, million or two million in sales or less, owner operator, where the owner wants to get out. Okay. And then sort of how do we integrate it? We get the owner out right away and get his mindset and his way of thinking gone. We get an Awisco person who's looking to get a promotion into that branch. That's basically how everyone works. And the breadth of products that we carry compared to a million or $2 million business is so much greater that, you know, just putting forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of inventory into a store that's been neglected for the last few years gives everybody in the place uh, a sense of of pride and accomplishment to go and, and do, you know, to come on board with us and really work with us and see what we can do for them. Yeah, that's that's a- it's really all about it's all about getting the owner out yeah. and supporting the staff that's already there with the resources that we have available to them. Yeah. And that's really interesting because that actually kind of creates blue sky for them at that spot of new opportunities as you're bringing that new breadth of products and new opportunities. Maybe a lot of things they just before had to kind of walk past and not really be able to, you know, create an opportunity of sales. Exactly. So are you thinking of doing a, a more of those acquisitions in the future? Or are you kind of at the spot that you're covering the, the tri-state area like you'd like to be doing? We're always looking at expansion. I think that helps us retain our younger people are people that in essence would get in a, in a, in a company that's not growing, trying to keep the people that are going to get squeezed by somebody above them. That's not going anywhere. Keeping making acquisitions and keeping the business growing allows these people to take on new roles or take on roles that, and more responsibilities so that they feel a sense of growth. Well, you know, that that's a great point that you bring up. Because I notice you you have a really high retention rate of employees. And you look at millennials and a lot of this conversation of how to keep people engaged and, and see the future that they would want to be, you know, staying with your company. So it sounds like that may be one of your secrets, that you have a constant growth where you have a constant need of development within the company. Yes. And I would say that 
I'm not going to say 100% of our successful promotions are all from within um, because we, we have brought a few people in from the outside that have been successful, though the vast majority of the people uh, who are in sort of my senior leadership team, which is about 10 people, are all on their second, third, fourth, fifth role at a Wisco. Yeah, that's great. And that tells the story to the next person coming in. They can really see there could be a, a clear pathway for them. Correct. Lloyd, I know you as a really generous person, very thoughtful person, and I thought it'd be nice to have everybody have a little more understanding of your concepts and how you look at life. And one of the things you do is you have this thing called Giving Tuesday. And I thought that you could maybe touch on that a little bit. I, mean, I, I come, and, and th this is not something I learned by myself. Um, my, my, my father and, and his brothers were always and continue to be huge uh, philanthropists and really give a lot to charity and different charities. And Giving Tuesday is basically something that was started by a group called Volunteer New York, which basically pits people that want to volunteer with organizations that are starving for volunteers. And I think it's a great organization, you know, and, and, and I think that's really, really important. And so they approached me a couple of years ago and said, what, you know, would I be interested in, in this Giving Tuesday that they do every year? And it's just a no-brainer. These are volunteer organizations in our backyard, in the tri-state area. You know, and if we can't give back to the communities that we live in that have given us so much, then, then why are we doing what we're doing? If the idea of what we're doing is to squeeze every nickel out of the business for your own personal gain, um, I, I can't see that as being in any way, shape, or form something that one would want to aspire to. Yeah, I think that's great advice, and I, and I imagine it's a tremendously rewarding feeling, too. Besides that, I mean, we, 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 we've had interns here for, for 20 years, and how cool is it that, that we take some inner-city high school kid who gets a little bit of trainings through a program that sort of gets, it's called the Ready to Work program, they come here, they learn sort of how a business operates, they learn some different things, and we've had so many of them stay on during the school year, while they're in college, work here part-time. I mean, I've probably had eight or ten of these interns throughout the year stay here, and, and how proud am I when they finally finish college, they've been working you know, wherever they've been working here at Wisco, and then they get a job in the field that they want to be in. And, and, and knowing that the experience that they had at Wisco allowed them to gain the experience and the knowledge that they can interview for a job and get a job, you know, in whatever field they want to be in. Yeah. Some of them have gone on to be EMT. Some have, have gone on to be law enforcement officers. Some of them have gone on to work for marketing companies and, and, and just different things. And I'm, I'm so proud of that as well. Yeah. And you really should be. I think that is, you know, that's probably the best gift you can give somebody is, is be able to see the future and see the opportunities that could be out there. You know, you do something in a business, your whole structure of what, where you 
in the construction area, you do something different that probably most distributors don't do, and they don't have probably the issues you would have, and that's making deliveries to a downtown New York City during rush hour, 24 hours a day that city's going. And I just thought it'd be something to hear, how do you go about that with a big old delivery truck that's got to get in there and it's got to stop and, uh, and make a delivery? That's got to be very difficult, I would think. We have the best drivers in the industry, and we have drivers that have been with us for 20, 25 years. And they have been so flexible and so understanding of the needs that of of our needs that today our drivers start before 6 a.m some of them they get out of here right away and they get into the city before the city that never sleeps sort of wakes up yeah and, and they get most of their stuff done before noon and most of their stuff done probably before 10 a.m yeah and you know once the hardest part is getting into the city in the morning. You know, once you're in the city, up until about probably 11 or 12, you could sort of move around a little bit. Yeah. So that's our goal is to get everything done as early as we possibly can. What, what are... Sort of flipped our business uh, to, to get, you know, the trucks. We have people stay later in, in, the, in the afternoon the day before to sort of get the trucks loaded for the next day so that our drivers don't have to sit around and load their trucks in the morning. They certainly, they get in at 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and they're out the door. Yeah. And, and when you look at some of the notoriety buildings in the downtown, what are some of the buildings that you guys have, have had the deliveries, equipment, or welding processes, and just in general? Are there a couple of ones that you know, on top of your mind? One of them is the, we built the, the first World Trade Center. We helped, unfortunately, demolished uh, that that was down in 9-11. And then uh, we were instrumental in the building of of the Freedom Tower, which is on that site now as well. That's one built an amazingly beautiful subway station uh, at Fulton Street. We're instrumental in that. Uh, Right now, there's a huge job going on. There's the Waldorf Astoria is being converted from a hotel to what they call a residence hotel. We're there. I mean, basically, if you name every hospital renovation, uh, every um, tunnel, every bridge, uh, every job uh, in the sort of heavy construction market is a job that, that we have participated in. And, you know, we're, we're, we're so proud of, of all that work that we, we do and continue to do. Now, you have really a renowned trade show that you have each year. And I know this year it's going to be May 22nd. And you, I, I believe, have had to move that due to the coronavirus. Is that correct? Correct. We're moving it to October. October. And this year would have, is the 25th anniversary of the trade show. You know, um, I had a situation, and, you know, as, I, as we have trade shows, as I'm sure you did, right, you have all types of equipment you're bringing in. You're bringing in tents and people, and all types of folks are coming into town to put on the different trade shows and demonstrations. And uh, in 1989, we had one we were going to do, and, we had laid it all out, and as I'm sure you do, you look at all the conflicting dates, and you want to make sure you don't have your trade show on a conflicting date because people might not come to your trade show. Uh, and we, uh, we had that all set up, and by golly, we said, okay, well, we'll have it two weeks after the World Series. And uh, as you know, in 1989, the World Series ended up having an earthquake right in the, in the middle of the game. Yep. 
And so they ended up rescheduling it 10 days later. And what was the date they rescheduled it for? Exactly when our trade show was starting. You know, <laughs> you know and that was a stressor, you know, so you never know. But, you know. True, you never know. Yeah. And then I think it's fascinating as we look at this year, there's so many things now being rescheduled. I kind of wonder if everybody's kind of getting together or not as they're picking these dates. Because, you know, we have derbies being rescheduled and we're going to have the Masters rescheduled. And then you're going to have the, you know, the large tennis there, the open up in your area rescheduled. So it'd be interesting to see. It's going to be a pretty packed uh, third, fourth quarter, it looks like. I can't imagine how crazy it's going to be with all this, the pent-up demand for events. You know, the, the conflicts are going to be huge. And, and quite honestly, I'm not sure how some of this stuff goes off. Are we still social distancing in four or five months? And if we are, what does that mean? Um, I mean, I don't know about you, George, but I'm not exactly uh, beating down uh, the doors to go into a stadium full of 40,000 people. Now, if you're a Mets fan, it doesn't matter because there's only three or 4,000 people in the stadium at any given time. But as a Yankee fan, we have to worry about things like that. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, and as, as we look at this COVID thing, I, I'd love to hear your view because you are in the heart of it. I mean, you have probably in the area that's been the most impacted, has the largest disruption. And has that disrupted your business? And, and have you had to do things differently or just in general, how that's been in your area with the medical oxygen requirements and different things of these uh, different hospitals that had to be set up? It, clearly, it's, it's had a, a, a tremendous impact. Um, our business is, in, in April, was down around 40%. What we did is we moved everybody to a four-day work week. My direct reports, the five of them, all took 25% pay cuts. And I'm no longer on payroll. And so that helped a little bit. We are now in the PPE business like we've never been before. We are every day getting surgical masks, the KN95 masks, uh, all that stuff. In fact, we have an order that hopefully is coming in directly from China. It's our first time we've ever ordered directly from China, not through uh, an intermediary, and hopefully that product comes in in a week or two. Um, and and we're we're selling cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer. One of our customers is a brewery here in Brooklyn that converted their production from beer to hand sanitizer. Wow! And we've been selling their hand sanitizer, and and so yeah, I mean we're right smack in the middle of everything. Job sites are closed uh, for now. The, you know, though some seem to be open. But let me right. tell you, down 40%, I will take that every day compared to friends that are in the restaurant business, friends that are in retail business, friends. I mean, there are businesses that might be just gone. Yeah. When I say business, I don't mean a particular business. I mean an industry. There are industries that might just be gone when this is all said and done. 
Yeah. That is a thing that affects all the families, right? It's a trickle down to all the different families involved in those businesses and the off effect of that. And it's, it, it is a devastating thing. As you look at this, is there anything you would have done different looking back at some of the states, some of the items that you had to do, address and work on? Is there anything you would, you would find yourself doing differently after going through this experience? Yes. The first is not believed what I was hearing from the government and planned for the worst in terms of PPE. Okay. Because back in February, when these things were starting to talk about, PPE was available. Okay. And had I had the foresight to, you know, make an investment of half a million to a million dollars worth of PPE, I, I would have sold that in right away. And I would have developed supply lines that would have served me well if I needed to get more product because our customers demand is just tremendous. Right. Well, we, we hear it on the news that there's a, such a shortage and uh, I know you're right in the heart of it. So that's why I wanted to ask you that question. Yeah. And as, as you look at this situation that's happened and you have all kinds of folks working for you, there's so sometimes there's an ex experience where you find somebody just really steps up and handles themselves in a, in a way that you weren't really aware that they had that skill set and desire and all. Do you have a story or two like that that might have happened in your company? So I am very, very reluctant in any forum to single out a particular individual. Yeah. Because our motto at Owisco is one company, one team. Okay. And so rather than single out a person, I am going to give a shout out to the whole Owisco team for accepting the reduced work week to the reduced pay to the reduced certainty in everything that's going on. And I, and, and I, I send a email out every Sunday, basically my update on what I think has happened and what I think will happen. And I sign off every message thanking everyone at Owisco for the sacrifices that they have made to keep us going. Yeah. Well, there's not one individual that would get more or less credit than anybody else because we're all doing it together. Yeah. Well, I had a, a number of questions I was going to ask you and you just answered them all in one great comment because I was going to ask you some of the, the secrets you have as a, as a manager and a leader uh, that would bring everybody together and work through a very difficult time like this. And you just answered it. I think that probably is the key thing. You're working as one team and everybody sees themselves as one team and one family. So that, that is very powerful. And, and we're transparent. Our safety, our safety director sends out two messages a week because it's ever changing. You know, the, the regulations are changing. Do you have to wear a mask? Do you not have to wear a mask? What are we allowed to be open, not allowed to be open, all these different things. And so we're sending a message out twice a week to everybody sort of just on the safety side, what we're doing, what we're doing, if, you know, if we're changing a process, you know, what are we doing in terms of cleanliness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then I am 100% transparent. 
So much so that when we didn't get the PPP money in the first round, I was honest with everybody. And I said, listen, I'm not going to make any changes today because I'm fairly confident that we'll get it in the second round. Yeah. And we did get it in the second round. Yeah. They, everyone here knows that we have the PPP money and everyone knows that I told them when we first went to the reduced work week that on, on April 30th, we will revisit this on April 30th. I sent an email out to everybody saying, Hey, here's where we're at. We're going to have to continue it for three, at least three more weeks. And so come the middle of May, I'm going to send another message and let people know what our plan is to how we get back to some semblance of full-time work. And I have a team working now on benchmarks. So if, if our gas volume gets back up to X, we can do Y. If our hard goods volume gets back up to X, we can do you know, Z, whatever, whatever that is, so that people know what the plan is. And I'm not hiding anything from them. That's great. I think that's a really good way to be. That people clearly are part of the whole, you know, the plan and the solution and working together. That's back to what your premise was that everybody's working as one team. This technology has been injected into all of us, right? We're having, you know, Zoom meetings. We're having all kinds of different technologies. And do you see that changing in your company, how your outside salespeople are now interfacing with their customers? They can't really make a visit. Have you implemented those type of technologies? Yeah, I mean, I've been on more Zoom meetings, more go-to meetings, more Microsoft team meetings. I didn't even know what these things were uh, three months ago, let alone how to use them. And so here's a couple of things that we're doing with our outside sales team, especially, is we, first of all, now that they have some time, we are taking advantage of every single online training offering from our suppliers and our suppliers in our industry have been amazing in terms of putting that content out there. And as our, our my VP of sales, Jeff said, it was really very funny. He says, we're going to have the best trained outside sales team that can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to that end, the flip side of that is, is now our, I, our outside sales team is starting to do webinars with their customers. Right. And so if a customer is looking at a particular product or a particular way to do it, our outside salesperson will bring in, either they'll do it themselves if they know about it, or they'll bring in somebody from the manufacturer and the two of them will do a webinar with our customer. Yeah. And the acceptance levels there now, right? I mean, I think that would probably have been the concern before if we've recommended this idea. People say, well, the customer's not really sure how to log on. Maybe they don't have the desire to want to do that. And they might even take it the wrong way why we wouldn't visit. So it is, it is a game changer, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I, I, I mean, in a million years, did I think that my parents would ever figure out how to get on a Zoom call, let alone want to get on a zoom call yeah and and now i mean that's how we see you know sort of our relatives all around the country uh and it's 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 the new way of doing things and it's not necessarily a bad thing and i i can't see I, i'm not looking 
I mean, I love you, George, but I'm not exactly looking forward to our place being open to outside sales reps coming here every day. I don't see that as a possibility anytime soon. Right. right. So, so if that's not the possibility, then you have to do something else to get in front of the customer. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. And you know, and it's a great point you bring up Lloyd. We, you know, we did training, as you know, around the country at, and we'd usually go to a distributor and do that training. And we actually put all of our training now we're doing zoom or, or different types of forums to do the training. And we're doing, I, I, to me, I, I find it amazing. We're doing literally per day, hundreds of people being trained on, we have a number of different subjects we do it on and the engagement and the desire to want to learn. So it has actually brought, brings up another point that people are pretty hungry to want to learn. They really do want to learn. They want to be better. They want to be the next day, have that next incremental change in their life and how they can approach things. So I think that the training for us has been a very positive experience. And we've also found, if I may make this note, is we're doing training. We've had requests on some other segments we hadn't had courses before on, and we put those together. And you know, it's been great for us too, because we've learned a lot as we're looking and digesting how to bring that across to people. So it's been a really good internal training for us, as well as you know, the, the customers have been coming on to our different uh, webinars. I uh, had a thing I wanted to ask you relative to something you have done in your past career before Wisco that people would be really surprised you have done as a career. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, ask, ask away. So what, 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 what would that be? I would like to ask you, what, what would, that, what would be, that, be that thing that would surprise people? Um, that, that I was a, a water polo player and coach. I, I started playing when I was about 14. Uh, you know, I was a swimmer growing up and one of my best friends, his dad actually played water polo, uh, in the fifties in college and decided to start an age group water polo team. And I joined and loved it and played for four years in college. And then, uh, after college, I really didn't feel like working very much. Uh, much to my dad's probably chagrin. And uh, I became the uh, first the assistant and then the head water polo coach at a place called Iona College in, in New Rochelle. And I was, uh, I coached there for six years. Wow. Uh, at one point, at one point we were, uh, the second to last year I coached, at one point we were uh, 12th in the country. So, I'll tell you, I did not have a lot of appreciation for water polo. I knew that people were out in the water and they threw the ball around and they got it in the net. And then my my son in high school said, you know, dad, I really want to do water polo. And I said, okay, great. And so I went to some water polo matches. I went to his first big match and he got out there and I watched him. I said, well, okay, you know, he's he's a good swimmer. And I was watching him work and I thought, well, his, his mouth's above the water and, you know, it looks pretty good, but he's, he's looking like he's getting a little tired. By the end of the game, I was concerned I might be having a son that drowned because all it was above the water, he barely had the nostrils above the water, you know, trying to trying to do that. And then I realized they're, they're swimming the whole time, you know, and uh, that is a brutal sport. It is. It is. It's uh, but it's it's a fun sport. It's a, a great bunch of guys and, and, and women now that play it. And uh, I'm. I'm better for doing it, and uh, I still I still go to see some Iona water polo games because the current head coach uh, played for me when I was coaching. Oh, good! And so it's it's pretty cool, and it's a it's great fun sport to watch, and 
to just a great community. The thing I was thinking, I, uh, there's got to be some similes going there. Being a coach, right? You're that's what you're doing right now. You're coaching people, mentoring people. Did you have some things that kind of paralleled that when you came over from being a coach in water polo and then coming and running a business? Oh, it's the same thing. It's still a team. And so the concepts are the same. You have to practice. You have to make sure that everyone's role is clearly defined. And also everyone is performing at the best of their ability in whatever role they have. And, and that goes from the guy in the warehouse picking and packing orders to, to my senior management team. One person doesn't do their job, then as a company we won't be as successful as we can be. And I spend a lot of time, you know, coaching and training and getting people to get motivated. Yeah, that's an interesting point you also made. Getting the the person in the right position, we hear a lot about that, and that that's so clearly able to be visualized. You think about a team sport and what you're doing in a sport, but it's really no different. As you say, it's no different in a business. Not none at all. Yeah. Do you, do you think um, there's certain industries that are going to be coming back quicker? And how do you see the future here, Lloyd, as far as where you think that your company is going to be focused and, and there's going to be really a lot of opportunity as we're coming out of this uh, COVID situation? So our, our business is heavily tied to construction, and I do believe that construction is one of the things that's going to help us get out of this. And I think that if the powers that be in Washington uh, want to put people back to work, I think construction and infrastructure is certainly an area that um, helped us get out of the Great Depression, which sort of has a parallel to where we are today uh, in terms of getting people back to work. I, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, there is funding for infrastructure work and construction projects, because I think that will help a lot. And, and that's where we are tied to. I don't see, you talk about, I think retail's done. Okay. I think the mall is done. I don't see how, I mean, Neiman Marcus filed for bankruptcy today. Wow. They're not going to be the last one of those major retailers that um, is potentially not going to survive this. I think, if you think about it, I think Airbnb may not be done, but it's going to change drastically. I think WeWorks, companies like WeWorks, these shared office spaces, they're going to have a hard time. Uh, I think commercial real estate in general is going to be very, very, is going to be strained. I saw something in the paper either yesterday or today that in New York City, commercial rents are going to be at least 20% lower than where they are today. That's a big difference. And I also think that we're not going to need as much space. I think I think Jamie Dimon, the, the, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, he said that they've become so efficient with some of their people working from home that as they renegotiate their leases for where, for their, you know, their, their office space, they're going to ask, they're going to take less and less office space. They don't need as much office space to run their businesses. So I think the landscape is going to change drastically, but we still need to drive on roads. We still need to go over bridges. We still need to transport people around Right. I think those are things that aren't going to change. I think some of the other things are going to change drastically. And 
I want to go back, if I don't mind, just in general, you know, going back to when you purchased a Wisco and and maybe a couple years into it or whatever time period in your, your career, there's usually a spot where you kind of have that aha moment. You say, okay, I got it now. This, this is that this aha moment will change how in the direction of myself and my company. Do you have one of those aha moments that happened for you? Right. I, I've been thinking about this, knowing that we were going to talk today. And I was, I was hoping you would ask me this question because mine happened so early in my career. So I, you know, fooled around after college. It's three and a half years after graduating college. I finally get into the business and it's the fall of 1990, no cell phones, barely computers. You know, we were still, you know, nobody, no, no front counter order entry. Nobody had a laptop. Nobody had a computer at home. Nobody had pricing. And my dad puts me in there as an outside salesperson. So I'm in the field calling customers and I call the office and I, we were probably just like any typical welding supply company at the time where we had a couple of people in the office who were basically glorified order takers and, and the idea of inside sales didn't exist. Uh, and you couldn't get an answer. And you had to, you know, first of all, you needed to, if, if the customer didn't give you a phone to call, then you had to go to a pay phone to call. I mean, I remember getting rolls of quarters oh, yeah. at the beginning of the week to, to go make right. phone calls. Yeah. Um, you couldn't get an answer. You couldn't get any. And, and so early on, so I started September, I think by January, I was getting really, really frustrated. And I, I said to my dad, I said, I think that if I came inside full time, I was the point of contact for all of our outside salespeople, I would have all the price files in front of me, you know, catalogs and, you know, price sheets. I would have all that information in front of me and I would be able to answer their questions when they called immediately. Okay. That we'd be able to grow the business. My father for 20 years before that, in 12 years, well, for his whole career, 30 years, he would wake up in the morning, go call on customers for six or eight hours, go to the office, write the orders up and get them on the truck the next day. So he would sell all morning into the early afternoon and then in the afternoon and go back and sort of run the business. Right. And so this was really foreign to him. How, how do you grow your business without outside salespeople? I said, I will make them more efficient and I will make them better. And he had the, you know, the, the faith in me to allow me to do it. And it worked so well. And to this day, we treat our inside salespeople uh, almost as if they are outside salespeople in terms of how important they are to the organization. Because the more and more, I think that is going to be you know, it was important before. It's been important forever, and it's only going to be more important today. Yeah, and that was a dynamic change. And just hearing you talk about that, it is pretty fascinating when you look at the fact that you used to have to pull over to the side of the road, hope you had some quarters on you to make a phone call, and then hope you could get the person you're calling, right? And uh, and here we are today where we're Zooming and uh, the, the whole change of technology. It's, it's It has brought a lot of opportunity, depending on how you use it. Yeah, I, I was just making the comment that when you look at that time period 
when you really literally had to pull over the side of the road, hope you had a quarter to make a phone call. And you look at that time period, you look at here we are today, right? We're actually discussing Zoom and we're all looking at each other live and we're able to share documents and show videos uh, as if we're virtually in the same room with somebody. Quite a, quite a change between those two time periods. It's amazing, a sea change. I mean, my, my kids, when I tell them about what it was like then, are flabbergasted. It's so true, absolutely true. And I can remember a few times myself where you, you can't find the, the quarters and I'm back in the car looking between the, the, the cushions of the car seat to try to find a dime or two. Yeah. Okay. So we, George, we had a, we had a great system where if you didn't have quarters or you couldn't get through to anybody, you would, you, you would make a person-to-person collect call. Yeah. To, to, and we had the code name Roy Bowser. <laughs> so if, if the person answering in the office heard that it was a person collect call to a Roy Bowser, they would say, I'm sorry, Mr. Bowser's not available, but if, if you could leave a number, he will call you right back. <laughs> so you would leave the number of the pay phone that you were at. I can't believe the phone company let you do this. You would leave the number of the pay phone you were at, hang up, and five seconds later, the office would call that number because, I mean, Kellett calls were like three bucks back then. I mean, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So that, that was our crazy system to get around uh, all that nonsense. That's great. And it is true, right? Fo- the phone bill was the number one expense at, at, back at that time period. Well, uh, uh, Lloyd, I appreciate your time today, and it was really interesting for me, and I enjoyed every moment of it, and hearing uh, your, your history as well as the company and your insight and how you look at business and how you've been successful in business and how you've been dealing with the COVID situation. I, I, I can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to be on our High Pressure uh, podcast, and uh, thank you. My pleasure. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you're, oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Broderman is also offering training for our gas distributors at rmimfg.com slash webinars.